Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Joining us now from Washington is Julie Sue, the acting U.S. Secretary of Labor, responding to the labor market report from about an hour and 15 minutes ago. Secretary Sue, fantastic to catch up with you. Just your first reaction to the payrolls report from earlier this morning and whether we're seeing broad-based strength in this economy or something that's showing us things are slowing down. Uh, good morning, Jonathan. Thank you very much. This is a good jobs report. It represents steady and stable growth, which is what we want. It shows that the president's policies, Bidenomics, uh, is working. It's combined with a 3.6% unemployment rate. Uh, many predictions were that it would not get below 4% right after the pandemic-induced uh, economic crisis for a long time. And these policies have defied that. And in fact, we've seen less than 4% unemployment for 17 consecutive months now, which is the longest duration since the 1960s. We know we've got a bit of tension out there in the labor market at the moment, and you've been involved in some of that. So I want to build on some of it with you. We have a tentative agreement covering West Coast port workers. That's been an issue for a while. I know you've had some involvement, so congratulations for that. We now have a new issue. So let's talk about that one, the potential for 300,000 UPS workers to go on strike. How involved are you in those discussions with the union and UPS? Yeah, thank you, uh, Jonathan. Thanks for mentioning the, the port because those parties worked very hard for over a year and uh, did reach a tentative agreement recently. It still has to be ratified, so the process is not over, but it demonstrates that collective bargaining works and that you can reach agreements that are, as the president often says, good for workers, uh, where companies can profit, and that's good for the economy as a whole. Um, and there remain other negotiations that are going on, right? That's what it means to um, be in an economy where workers have some power, where unions are at the table and um, we are monitoring the negotiations but trust that the parties are going to do what they need to do. Have you spoken to UPS? Have you spoken to the union involved this week? Yeah, I've been in touch with both parties. Um, I've also just in my role as acting secretary talked to parties to these negotiations as well as unions and employers uh, across the economy. Um, and so, again, I'm hopeful and know that um, that they're going to continue to uh, to do what they need to do and that a fair contract is something that um, that everybody you know hopes that there's there can be win-wins as we saw at the port. Secretary, so I've heard that word thrown around quite a lot by this administration, this word fair. And language is important, it's meaningful. What would fair be? 
Right. So this president has been very clear that fairness and equity is very important and that we can build an economy that is fair and equitable, meaning from the bottom up and the middle out, right, where nobody gets left behind, where we invest in the middle class. You know, Bidenomics is all about investing in America and in particular industries like semiconductors and manufacturing and infrastructure, but also investing in American workers and also increasing competition to decrease prices. All those things are part of what President Biden believes is fair and what we believe this jobs report demonstrates that a strong and fair economy can be. That's all great, but we have to define what it means. For UPS specifically, and this agreement they're going to try and strike with this union, what would a fair wage increase be? Can you put a number on it? Well, I will say the same thing that I said when I was out at the ports talking to the parties. A fair contract is one that the members are going to ratify. So a fair contract is something that, um, that, that workers choose at the end of the day. Uh, and again, that process is important for the parties to be able to negotiate, to be able to stay at the bargaining table, and to be able to resolve issues. And I do believe, and as has been shown time and time again, there are win-win solutions there. Don't we have to be careful there, though, if we start saying things like fair is whatever the union wants? Right. So, I mean, at the bargaining table, right, there's all kinds of issues that um, we have seen throughout history that um, when workers can bargain alongside employers who are committed to, you know, employers who understand that the best investment they can make is an investment in their workers. There's all kinds of things that can happen uh, when it comes to wages and working conditions and benefits. And those are the kinds of things we want for every American worker, right? We want stable work. We want uh, a path to the middle class. We want security and retirement. Uh, we want health benefits. We want leave. Those are all things that the president has prioritized. And I think those are all elements of what it means to have a good job. There are issues you're working on, Secretary So I know that. Your nomination hasn't been progressing to take you from acting Secretary of Labor to Secretary of Labor. What's going on with that? Can you give us some information on the timeline you're hoping that this gets dealt with? So the president has expressed great confidence in me. He's nominated me to serve as U.S. Labor Secretary. I am doing that job. Uh, the confirmation question is certainly one for the Senate, but I've also appreciated the broad support I've had from a number of senators, and we remain hopeful about confirmation. And meanwhile, I am here to do the job and do what the president asked, which is help him finish the job. And we're, again, seeing progress and continued growth, and we know we have more work to do, and I'm all in to help get that done. Are you concerned it's holding up the department's agenda at all? No, so the work of the department continues full steam. We are, um, you know, we have enforcement work to do to ensure that every worker um, gets the wages that they're, that they're owed and comes home healthy and safe at the end of the day. We are laser focused on connecting employers who need workers to um, the good jobs uh, that are being created in the economy, to, um, to working people who are looking for those jobs. So that's another big priority for us. And those are very important. And, uh, and, and we will continue to, to do them. And I'm proud to, to lead the department in these efforts. Secretary Sue, we're happy to catch up with you this morning following the payroll report. Thanks for being with us. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Uncertainty is in order, and that is a good place to start with Randall Krosner. Randy, the Bloomberg interns have invaded the building. I was speaking to a whip-smart <laughs> intern yesterday, newly minted after reading Krosner, out of Babson College, the pride of Wellesley, Massachusetts. And that intern, he said, what should I read? And I said, you've got to read Peter Bernstein. It's required at Chicago on risk and uncertainty. Tell me right now how uncertain you are about the American economy, the American labor economy, this jobs report post-pandemic. I think the uncertainty is pretty high because, you know, as you guys were discussing before, it, it seems like the labor market should have uh, started to, to slow down a bit, um, but we haven't seen much evidence of that. Certainly the ADP numbers yesterday and other data suggest that the labor market is still pretty hot. You know, there are long and variable lags, as my, you know, great uh, predecessor uh, at uh, at University of Chicago, Milt Friedman, had talked about. But, man, these are really getting to be very long uh, on Mm -hmm. lags. You you think you start to see something by now. That's the uncertainty. How high is the Fed going to have to go? Because the Fed's not going to quit until the labor market. If the Fed, and the mystery is how high do they have to go, are these normal meetings forward or do the PhDs, the people that worship your financial economics, <laughs> do they have to amend every dis- discussion as they get out to November 1 meeting? Well, I think what they've got to do is try to see, are there some structural changes in the, in the economy? And I think there have been at least some changes, whether they're permanent structural or not, not so sure about. Probably something structural for the labor market. We certainly see lower labor force participation. A lot of older workers have said, there's no way I'm going back into the labor market. I don't care that wages are high. I know too many people who didn't make it through COVID. I want to see my kids, my grandkids. We also have seen um, with the very low interest rates during the, uh, uh, during the pandemic and just coming out of it, that everybody refinanced. So normally you have the transmission mechanism of monetary policy having an impact on interest rates and so having an impact on people's payments of houses, et cetera. But so many people refinance into low, low, uh, 30, uh, very low fixed 30-year mortgages. It doesn't matter as much to the economy that interest rates are going up because people aren't, people's um, income is not being affected by that, or at least a, a smaller fraction of people's income is affected by that than normal. So, Randy, with that in mind, what's the appropriate role of the Federal Reserve with that as your backdrop? Is it to just keep pushing or acknowledge everything you just acknowledged? Well, it might mean that um, they need to go further than in the past. Now, I don't think they're going to have to go as far as in the late 70s, early 1980s, because they're, fortunately they started before inflation expectations got out of control, because that's what happened back then. 
you know, inflation was um, you know, in, in the low double digits, and they had to bring in its rates to 15, 20% because the Fed had lost credibility. Inflation expectation, expectations went up, but really not that much. So that's a, a positive. But it may need, mean that they need to do more work in raising rates to get the same impact on the economy of sort of slowing, taking some of the heat, particularly out of the, the, the wage demands. So, Randy, this debate often comes down to one or two hikes. Now, 25, 50 basis points is, is nothing. What kind of numbers are you talking about, thinking about? Well, I, I'm, uh, certainly, I, I think uh, I, well, we'll see what the uh, the data say about the labor market. Maybe the labor market's about to crack. Um, sure. Certainly, the data don't suggest it. But if it doesn't, they're going to keep at it. And uh, you know, I think they're going to end the year closer to six than they will to five. Okay, Randy, this is great. We're going to get a jobs report. We're going to talk about all the econo babble and that. But I want to bring it over to <laughs> finance. I want to bring it over to what you actually teach at the Booth School. Can you tell the students at Booth entering last week of August, whenever it is they get through their eight-week orientation, can you tell them that we've reached financial stability? Uh, we're not sure. So it gets back to the uh, uncertainty that you had talked about before. Because obviously with the very rapid increase in interest rates, we've had an impact on um, banks like Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. That's thought, you know, they thought they were geniuses by, by buying long-dated securities. That was fine until interest rates went up so much that the value of those securities plummeted. And uh, you've got some other um, uh, other institutions that also have a lot of effectively long-term fixed-rate things on their, right. their balance sheet, <clears throat> long-term is commercial real estate, particularly commercial real estate. That's, I think, going to be a challenge. And so we're going to see how that uh, that plays out. And I think when we start getting the, the next round of bank earning reports, right. there may be a little bit of tumult around that. I mean, I'm not going to miss words, Professor Krasner. I look at the stress test. The stress test is a comedy. I mean, I just, I just don't think they had any value at all. But after SVB, from where you sit, have we seen a new enhanced financial supervision? Is there something new in the religion of looking at the banks after what we saw a number of weeks ago? I think one thing that they are now focusing on is interest rate risk. So uh, other signatories to uh, the, the so-called Basel III regulations, the uh, the capital standards that came out from, uh, from the global financial crisis, virtually everybody has an important rule uh, related to interest rates and interest rate risk. Um, we didn't have that in the U.S. And so I think that's going to be the key thing that changes. And my hunch is that my former colleagues at the, at the Fed and the other regulators are keenly focused on that, yeah. uh, that issue now. And they weren't before. Randy, stay close. Jobs report, seven minutes away. We'll catch up with Randy Kreisner in just a moment and get his reaction to that. We're going to see some bond market movement here as we digest this data. Joining us now, Lindsay Piggs, the chief economist at Stiefel as well. And to me, it's a hallmark announcement, Lindsay, with the revisions. Let me go through the math again. It's simple. It's algebra. I can handle this, Lindsay. I can't do the differential equations like you. And that is 209,000 take away 110,000. Can you frame this out with the revisions as a sub-100,000 report? It 
Well, I, I do think it fell well short of expectations. But that being said, it's still a solid headline number. And for the Fed, the yes. focus is not that top line <clears throat> non-farm payroll report. They're looking at the details. They're looking at the inflationary components. And with the unemployment rate declining, wage growth gaining momentum, right. this is the exact opposite of what the Fed wanted to see. This keeps the Fed on the path right. for an additional rate increase later <clears throat> this month. And depending on what we see from the inflation data next week, we could see another rate increase shortly thereafter. Our audiences on radio and television are saying, wait, wage growth, 4.4%, take away 5 or 6% inflation, depending on whether I'm buying steak this weekend. And the answer is they're not getting ahead. Which nominal wage growth does the Fed need to see? 3.5%, dare I say 2.9%. How low do we have to bring down wage growth? I think... It- I think if we saw a two-handle, the Fed would be very comfortable with that. I think that would give the Fed confidence that we're on a sustainable downward trajectory. Right. That's what the Fed wants to see. It's not about getting inflation okay. under control from 8 down to 6. <clears throat> it's continuing that trajectory back to that 2% target. Give me the x-axis then on a 2.9% nominal wage growth. We're distant from that, aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the biggest fears for the Fed is that wages are continuing to rise. Growth is continuing to accelerate without any improvements Mm -hmm. in productivity. And so there we start to see this wage price spiral leaving the economy behind. Growth is slowing. We know that. But if underlying wage components continue to increase, what is the economy gaining from that? It goes back to the old adage of we could hire a million workers to make windows, a million workers to break windows. If the supply of labor falls short of that, wages go up, but we're not adding anything to the economy. I want to make clear, we've really got some flightiness on the data screen as well. Right now, red and green in the screen, futures at negative 8, NASDAQ barely to the green side uh, as well. In the yield space, there is some movement, 4.96% in the two-year, the 10-year yield, 4.04%. These are all new numbers for me. They're really a shock to see in this, fi- uh, this high, 4.01% uh, as well. How many quarters of, you know, as you say, 209 is still a substantial non-farm payrolls number. But if we developed a three-month moving average of 190,000, my reading is that doesn't get it done for the Fed. Well, it You've depends. still got to sustain. Where are wages at that point? We so have you to really see... hinge everything on wages. Well, inflation. Wages, no. it, it, that's one component of inflation. But we need to get that under control. We need to see some of that tight labor market conditions ease so that the Fed feels more confident that wages right. will begin to ease. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to tackle overall inflation then just by getting the labor market right. to, to uh, become less tight. There's other components of inflation. But that's the component that the Fed mm-hmm. can control. That will determine the terminal level. The other components of inflation will determine how long the Fed is forced to maintain that elevated level of rates. Give us a steeple granularity of what Mr. McKee talked about, which is the racial makeup of jobs. We saw some higher unemployment, some jumps in unemployment among minorities and also on the education basis as well. The stereotype within financial media is we have a lot of service sector bartenders and waitresses still being employed. Do you buy it or is there a different story here? Well, I I think there's two different storylines. Certainly when we look at 
at where the most unemployment is, is gaining momentum, that's at the lower skills level. We're starting to see technology replace those lower skills. This was something that was happening before the pandemic, but this is a trend that has certainly been exacerbated more recently. But I also think that we haven't yet seen that cyclical component suggesting that weakness is lurking around the corner just yet. As we heard about, leisure and hospitality still posting a sizable increase this month. Right. That would be assumed to be the one area where we would start to see that weakness gain credibility, mm -hmm. gain evidence. But we haven't seen that quite yet. Is this still a pandemic-tinged report? I don't know if we can necessarily say that the pandemic is influencing this report, but I think the aftermath of the pandemic, the change in psychology, is impacting this report because we're still seeing millions of workers sitting on the sideline, not actively participating as we would expect yeah. in the traditional manner in the labor force. So we do need to still think about providing an incentive to pull some of those sideline workers in that may help to expand the labor supply and then organically reduce wages. But we're not going to see that <clears throat> downward pressure unless we see demand for labor precipitously decline or the supply of workers dramatically increase. Lindsay, thank you so much. Lindsay Piggs with thank us today you. from Stiefel. timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. We can catch up with Christian Horner, the team principal for Red Bull Racing. Christian, wonderful to catch up with you, sir, going into race weekend in Silverstone. Can we start there, as my colleague Tom pointed out? Just how special is this race, this circuit, for you and the team? Well, look, it's, it's one of the best circuits on the tour. It's, uh, it's fast, it's demanding, it's sorts the men out from the boys. It's, uh, yeah, a big challenge, and it's, it's old school. I mean, this track goes back to uh, just after the Second World War, so uh, an old airfield um, with a perimeter road converted into a racing circuit that has developed over the years, but it's, it's one of the big tests for the drivers and the teams. Max was absolutely dominant last weekend. There was this amazing moment at the end of the race with a couple of laps to go. He came in for a pit stop just to get the quickest lap. Christian, can you describe the guy that you're working with every single day? How special is Max Verstappen? 
I think what we're witnessing at the moment is a is a sportsman that's just a, really at the top of his game, and uh, you know he's a joy to work with, and he continues to surprise us with just the the, the levels that he's that he's reaching, and uh, you know the height that he's hitting. So um, yeah, as I say, nothing is. Uh, Nothing is. Uh, he continues just to continue to surprise us at the moment, but he's in the form of his life, and I think there's more to come. Christian, I think Americans are fascinated by this. I look at the the wonderful coverage Sky Sports is doing, and basically they forget about Verstappen five minutes into the race to look at all the Netflixy sub races and all that baloney. We have in America a guy for the Los Angeles Angels in baseball named Otani, who's once in a generation. Is Verstappen like? that I think look we've, we're in a halcyon period of Formula One we've got Lewis Hamilton the most successful driver of all time out there we've got Fernando Alonso that's doing it for the old guys and uh, you know we've got this emergence of Max Verstappen and I think only in time will history judge just how good he is but what we're seeing at the moment is certainly something pretty special, particularly with the rock results that he's ratcheting up. Christian, talk to me about how, from a manager's perspective, you maintain harmony within the team. When he took that point for the quickest lap last weekend, that was taken away from, from Checo, his teammate within Red Bull. Christian, can you tell me as a manager how you're maintaining the harmony when you have to provide the resources for someone as dominant as Max and maintain the confidence of his teammate? <coughs> Well, I think he's just dealing with openness and honesty. And I think, look, Max uh, deserved or earned himself the opportunity to have a go at that that uh, fastest lap. He created a pit stop for himself. Um, he was going to have a go at it on the on old tyres. And for us, it was actually less risk to put him on a set of newer tyres and take the pit stop. So, uh, yeah, he earned himself that, that right. And I think the relationship between the two guys is is strong. And, and the most important thing is that they talk to each other. They, they communicate. When there's an issue, they talk about it. We get it on the table and um, and get it addressed. Can we expect Checo to be racing for Red Bull next year then, Ch- Christian? Yeah, he's got a contract. He's with us till you know till the end of twenty four. So, and we're happy, irrelevant of the contract. We're happy with uh, you know the overall performance of him. He's had some some difficult Saturdays recently, but uh, his racing's been great, and hopefully the confidence from that podium in Austria is going to put him. Uh, you know, back on the pace here on Saturday. Let's talk about someone else on the grid who's unhappy. Lewis Hamilton, unhappy with the dominance of Red Bull, unsurprisingly. Christian, he's had some recommendations on what they can do about that. Maybe we can set a time limit for when we start to plan for next year's race car. Christian, what's your response to people who are fed up with the dominance of your team? Well, look, it's flattering in many respects. The sport goes in cycles. I mean, Mercedes, I mean, how many years did they dominate and nobody got anywhere near um, seeing them for about seven years? So, uh, uh, look, we're, we're, we're performing at an incredibly high level. The team is doing its job. Um, and the others, you know, will be putting a target on us and they'll be trying to catch. And I think with stability of the rules, the, the field is going to converge. Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time. So, uh um, so yeah, I, I think trying to get everybody to start to design their car at you know a start date would is, would just be impossible to manage and uh, and, and police. Yeah. Christian, our our producer, our, the guy that tells us what to do every day, grew up in Western Australia, so he says we're not doing the interview if we don't talk about your third driver, Daniel Ricciardo. I I think the people looking at Daniel Ricciardo uh, in America are saying, what does this guy do? Do you want to retain a third driver like? Daniel Ricardo, or is it a good feeling for Red Bull if he goes off to someone else as is rumored? Well, look, I gave him that chance because I didn't. I 
thought Formula One still needed Daniel, and I think that he's still got more to, to, to give. We we know how talented he is. He just needs to rediscover his form and his and his mojo, which he seems to be doing certainly in the virtual world. And he's testing our car in the real world on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. And um, you know we'll start to see where he's at as in relation to the race drivers. So uh, it'd be great to see Daniel back on the grid. Uh, next year, even if it's not in a rebel car. Uh, uh, Christian, a sensitive issue which we see in the danger of Formula One and all the safety efforts that are made. There have been two really difficult deaths in Formula One, including a tragedy uh, recently, I believe, in Belgium. What do you yes. do day to day, tick by tick, to make the sport safer? What's the next thing to make it safer? Well, look, I think the FIA do a great job in terms of the safety of these cars. It's just, um, you know, compared to where they were just even a few years ago. If you look at Roman Grosjean's accident in Bahrain, think that a human could actually survive that is, is you know, beyond belief. But, uh, you know, you can always do more. And the FIA are constantly pushing us, um, you know, with the cars. But also now the circuits. I think they, you know, there's circuits that we need to look at um, because we can only take the cars so far. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think still more that we can do as a collective with the FIA on, on, on certain circuits. There seemed to be, I mean, I was baffled last week watching every minute of it and, and, and really, you know, what your team did. And, and I look at, the, I guess it's called the stewards, where the track isn't working out and people are going off the track and there's 1,200 violations. I mean, we don't see that in American sport. Are we going to see that again at Silverstone, where the quality of the driving is so good that the track doesn't fit the excellence of the drivers? Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, I think that was uh, something that needs to be addressed moving forward. I think um, the problem is, is and it was you know two corners that are inviting the drivers to go out there, and of course they can't see the lines. They're driving by feel, and um, I think that if there was a piece of you know, a gravel strip there or you know something like that, they wouldn't go near it. If there was a wall there, they certainly wouldn't go near. It. So um, yeah, I think that there's things that can be done to uh, you know to improve the situation. Hopefully, it won't be a, a, an issue here, but uh, you've got to stay in the lines. I do want to finish on safety and the track, Christian. There are some worries that maybe we have some protests, the climate change protesters that we've seen protest various sports in the UK over the last <coughs> few years. Are you concerned about that over the weekend? What have your conversations been with the FIA over the last couple of days and your own drivers going into the weekend? with regards to that? Well, look, it is a big concern because, look, you run on a cricket pitch or a tennis court, you know, there's only a, there's only a bat and a ball out there. You run on a Formula One track, you know, there's 20 cars going around at speeds of close to 200 miles an hour. And from a safety point of view, it is unimaginable or unthinkable that, that, that people would um, you know, put themselves into, or, and the drivers at such risk. So uh, I really hope that uh, you know nobody does anything uh, stupid this weekend. You know, Formula One is taking sustainability and is pushing that message and driving you know, with fully sustainable fuels that we have coming for 2026. We're doing more than any other industry to, to champion that, and I'd be really disappointed to see um, uh, you know somebody try and uh, upset what is you know going to be probably one of the biggest events, sporting events on the British calendar this year. Christian, I've loved our conversations. We've loved our conversations. Let's continue them. Good luck for the race weekend. As a Ferrari fan, you know that I don't quite mean that, but good luck. Oh, I do. Good luck. I mean it this weekend. Christian I mean, Horner Red of yeah. Red Bull Racing. 
Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.